The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent. Hey, what is going on, guys? Thank you so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius. Today we have episode 123. Short story at the end of the episode is from 25 Perfect Days plus 5 more. That short story is 16 Acres. That was one of the later ones I wrote. A little bit more sci-fi-ish, but still fun. Uh, Been a pretty crazy week. Lots of ups and downs. Um, All good shit. Once I changed my perspective. Because I have been getting overwhelmed. Um, Got a lot of stuff going on. First, let's go to the good stuff. Last weekend at the... Awaken the Spirits, uh, Pasadena Convention Center. That thing was awesome. Went down Friday to help set up. I wasn't going to be able to be there on Saturday. Um, got to meet up with Brian Asman and uh, A.E. Santana, and we set up the booth. It was cool getting to talk to them a bit. And then on Sunday, I went back, and uh, it was great because we were selling a lot of books. It was I think there were five of us from the Horror Red Association, maybe six. And we shared a booth. We've done that event before, but it's not a is not for selling books. It's not like a, just a book fair or anything like that, like LA Times Book Festival. It is just a horror convention. But everyone did incredibly well. All the Try Not to Die sold out. I wish I had more, especially Pandemic. Pandemic was first to go. Uh, so that was really reassuring. That was cool to see. So not only in addition to getting to uh, meet people, sell all kinds of books, had some really cool conversations with other authors. In fact, I already signed a contract with Evan. He is going to write a Try Not to Die uh, dark fairy tale. I gave him the list of, I think we already have 31 books that are potentially in the work. Out of those, I think about 20 have signed contracts. Um, So there's a lot. In fact, after this, I'm not gonna take any more. So I have that with Evan. He's gonna do a dark fairy tale. Then I'm probably gonna, I'm going to try to do one with Brian as well, which will be based off of his book, Jailbroke. I think it should be a pretty good match. So, um, you know, and that's what's hard is there are so many different people I would love to write with, but I need to kind of slow my shit down because, man, it's I only have so much time in the day, I'm realizing. Uh, it's nice when I drop off the kids because I have from 9 o'clock till actually 8 o'clock until 2 o'clock to get my stuff done. But sometimes that involves you know, my household duties. I'm the stay-at-home mom. Uh, so I have to, uh, you know, prepare food, wash dishes, laundry, all that kind of stuff. Um, in addition, trying to find time to write. One thing that I'm really trying to do again is, and I've been struggling with, is making time for myself as far as uh, physical exercise. Um, I know it's important, but I've been falling away from it. A lot of injuries, a lot of pain, uh, knees hurting, feet hurting, backs hurting, whatever it is. A lot of that's from not doing what I should be doing, which is constantly stretching and moving and everything. So really trying to make an effort to doing a lot of walking with my buddy George. We do that in the mornings. This morning we took, and Wednesday as well, we did yoga for like the first 30 or 40 minutes. And then we went on the walk, like a really fast paced five mile walk. Uh, today might've been a little bit shorter, but Altogether, it was like two hours of time. Hmm. Now, part of me struggles with that because, like, that's two hours that I could have used to like do the podcast, to 
do a newsletter to actually get some writing done. One thing I have not been doing is any kind of creative writing. It's been all business. It's been setting up these trying to dies. It's been uh, having talks with people. It has been marketing. It's been whatever. It's not creative. Um, I really want to, and I need to schedule time for that. And that's kind of what's I'm trying to get to that state. So I don't know whether or not it's going to happen until October. And after the whole brain book is done, I'm okay with that if that's the case. Uh, but I just have to make sure that I do continue to, you know, make the time for myself, schedule that time in there and get that done. Because honestly, today's talk that I had and just getting out there, taking that time, really focusing on it. Uh, like my buddy Carl told me yesterday, we we're talking on the phone about it. He knows I have a problem of always wanting to be productive, always doing something. You know, I have so many things in my plate I want to get done. Um, I don't take the time to enjoy myself. So yesterday he called to wish me a happy birthday. Talked about that, making sure I take time for myself, you know, and then when I do am working out, you know, to really look at it like, okay, that is work. That's real work. You know, it's one of the things uh, Joey House really tried to get across to me too. Like when we do the breathing, when we do meditation, when we do anything that's good for us, like we are putting in work. It's a different kind of work, but it is going to get us to a better place, you know, emotionally, mentally, everything else physically. So that's what was cool today. And even just like at the after we were done stretching, um, just a couple of things that George said that helped me change my perspective on some of these uh, projects that I have, like the Try Not to Die on the Rhine. That one is going to be pretty difficult because uh, Nico is sending it to me in German. I translate it, and then I will try to write it in English. Um, you know, I was looking like, oh, man, this is going to be a lot of work because there's just such a cultural difference, and who knows how much is lost in translation, um, you know. But I was like, yeah, this is a super awesome opportunity and it's going to be easy for me. And so just the way I look at it, same with the rewrite of, I could be looking at the rewrite of Trying Not to Die in the Wild West as a lot of work, you know, going to have to rewrite, you know, do I have to rewrite it or do I get to rewrite it? Like how awesome is that to be able to go into someone else's brain, take their work, rewrite it, put it in my voice and then give it back to them and do that. Like that's an incredible opportunity. So that's how I need to look at it, uh, get excited about it big thing right now with me is planning when to do stuff and just waiting, you know, being okay with waiting. Uh, John, uh, the co-author of Trying to Die in the Wild West, who's also the pandemic author, he reminded me all these, all these deadlines that I have, they're self-imposed. So, you know, I need to get better just letting stuff, you know, not, not scheduling too much and just being okay. When it comes out, it comes out. Uh, for example, like right now, I've been trying to work on Trying to Die in the Wizard's Tower, which is going to be awesome. Almost, I think I'm on the last chapter of putting in my notes for Sage. He's going to be done in a couple of days with that. I will then print it out again, read through it again, have a, have a talk with them about whatever questions we had, just making sure we're on the same page, 100% on everything. And then it'll be sent to the editor for the final. He's doing the cover right now. It's going to be awesome. So that book will be out later this year. Um, and so I'm waiting on that before I jump on the trying to die in the Wild West. But at the same time, I want to get back to Nico on trying to die on the Rhine. And uh, and then also with Glenn and Death Fest, I've been supposed to – I worked on a little bit like a month or two ago. I was supposed to work on some new scenes. And I just haven't got to them yet. I'm not sure when I'll be able to. So that's what's tough. So I need to stop taking on too many – like I'm not going to take on more. If I do any more, it's going to be one or two, and that's it. Only because I've talked to those two individuals, and I would like to work with them. So if those happen – that'll be it and then i would just start to knock these out maybe in a couple of years i could add some more authors but i want to make sure i'm getting all the ones done first um you know that's only fair to them and to myself 
So, um, yeah, I think that's about it. I think, uh, yeah, that's what I got from this week was just, you know, being okay with uh, not always working, not always being productive, you know, trying to enjoy family time and everything else. All right, guys. So I still have a good amount of work to do. So I'm going to do that right now. Leave you guys with a short story. Uh, next week, I believe I will have a guest. Not sure. Hopefully. If nothing else, well, I don't say nothing else. It'll be an incredible guest if we have them. I'll be thrilled if we have them. Might be Carl. But for now, let's go out on 16 acres from 25 perfect days plus five more. This is narrated by my buddy David Thompson. Hope you guys enjoy the story and have an incredible week. Later. Sixteen Acres December 24th, 2068 The hunt had never lasted this long. It was Christmas Eve and for the first time in his life, Ben Adams stepped off the ranch. Any other year, Ben and his father would be sipping hot cider while the women prepared the feast. But something had spooked the deer. That's what Ben's father, Justin, said. Ben prayed his father was right, because if the deer had migrated or died off, they wouldn't survive the winter. The three men and one girl sat with their backs to the mountain, a small fire blazing in the middle of their clearing. They hadn't seen a deer all day, not in the usual spots, and the rabbits could no longer be trusted. Six people had developed skin rashes after eating them. Justin pointed at the underbrush on the right side of the clearing. It's the splicers, he said. They're scaring them away. Miguel, the former controlling force agent, ran his knife along the sharpening stone. Splicers, my ass. No one's seen a single attack. If we could connect, we'd know in five seconds, Ben said. He stared at his father. Justin had kept everyone off the grid for the group's protection. Kid's right, Miguel said. We don't even know what's out there. Justin didn't take his eyes off of the forest. We're not risking everything for information that might not even help us. Ben told his father. We could set it up so only one person had access. You? Why not? Justin looked back toward the forest. Because I said no. Everywhere else in the country, 15-year-olds were considered adults. Ben was 18 and still treated like a child. Miguel's daughter, Kayla, touched Ben's arm. Her look told Ben not to push it, but it made no sense to Ben for them to stay disconnected. Ever since the Tidewall attack, the only news came through automated drones and a few passing travelers. Justin and Miguel said they'd take first watch. Kayla pulled Ben toward their sleeping bag. They crawled in. Ben let her use his arm as a pillow. He breathed in her hair and closed his eyes, let his thought drift to the others. He jerked up. Kayla said, What's wrong? Ben was afraid to give power to his words. Still, he said, Something's happened. Evelyn, what are you talking about? At the ranch. Ben was already out of the sleeping bag when Miguel asked what he meant. This wasn't the first time Ben's twin sister, Evelyn, had communicated with him. He'd known the second she gave birth at two in the morning, even though he was asleep at Kayla's. When they were little, a searing pain shot through his arm, 
when she'd fallen from a tree and broken two bones. But this feeling was the strongest he'd ever felt. We need to go back. Absolutely not. We're over the perimeter. If anything spots us, she's in trouble. Justin shook his head. He'd never believed in their connection. Miguel assured Ben everything was fine. We're running four sentries, he pointed to Responder, which would alert them if anything was wrong. Ben wanted to say sentries without real weapons, another one of his father's brilliant decisions. Last month, they had a chance to get hold of some ballistics from a passing caravan but turned them away. The group only had knives and bows. Caleb pulled him down. They'll be okay, she said. Ben wanted to run back to the ranch, but he lay down beside her, told himself Evelyn was home with her husband, George, and their baby. She was probably worried about him. That's what the feeling was. Nothing more. Justin woke Ben four hours later to switch watch. His father said to wake them in three hours. Ben did as he was told, and they broke camp before the sun rose. Miguel led the way. It was cold and wet, their ponchos damp from the mist. Christmas morning on the hunt, instead of opening presents under the tree. Suddenly the crunch of snow and twigs. A lone black-tailed deer. Ben took aim, knocked the ten-pointer down with a direct hit to its vitals. Their fathers dressed the deer. Ben and Kayla found the branches. Ben and Kayla found branches large enough to strap it to. Even with the weight distributed between the four of them, the bark dug into Ben's palm. They plodded through the forest. Everyone was quiet. The only sounds were of breathing, the squelch of mud beneath their boots. It was a little past nine when they made it back to the ranch, the houses a few hundred yards around the bend. Ben felt the searing pain. Evelyn was in trouble. And the baby. Ben dropped his end. What's the matter with you? Justin said. Stay with them, Ben told Kayla. She said something, but Ben was already running down the trail, bow in one hand, arrow in the other. The closer he got, the stronger the pain. Ben flew out of the trees, got behind the wooden privacy fence to catch his breath. Thirty-three families lived on the ranch. Most were crammed into the dozen single-story shacks. Ben heard the low groans of a man. He peeked out, saw Thomas in the middle of the dirt road. A pale yellow creature straddled his stomach. It pulled ribbons of red from Thomas's chest. Another abomination lay a few feet away, the hilt of a knife sticking out of its throat. The thing was hideous. Nothing like Ben had ever seen in person, but identical to the drawing a gypsy boy had passed out to a few of the kids. The family told stories of flesh-eating monsters wiping out entire communities on the fringe. Ben slowed his breathing, knocked an arrow, took aim at its sleek, hairless head. Voices filtered through the trees. The grotesque beast turned. Ben loosed the arrow. It drove straight through its skull. Kayla screamed. Her father threw his hand over her mouth. Those things were everywhere, peppering the field, each one devouring a body on the ground. 
Everyone got behind the fence. Justin and Miguel counted the arrows. Fifty-plus between all of them. Knives if it got down to it. Ben peeked through the fence. The door to Evelyn's place was open. Justin took hold of his son's shoulder, but Ben shrugged it off and crept around the corner. Twenty feet ahead in the tall grass was another creature. This one was older, a deformed mess that had been allowed to mature, long bloody snout and clawed hands, slits of wrinkled flesh for ears. Ben drew the bow and let the arrow fly, punctured its heart. Others took notice, started hop-running, but Ben just kept focused on Evelyn's porch. Kayla, Miguel, and Justin loosed arrows. Justin screamed at Ben to get down, but he stood motionless, eyes locked with a fat-bellied beast waddling toward him. The twang of Kayla's bow was immediate. The breeze of the arrow zipped past Ben's head. He closed his eyes and heard the guttural cry. Ben moved past the creature with the arrow through its eye, prayed that wasn't George's flesh hanging from its mouth. The front porch was littered with body parts. Evelyn and George stayed in the back room on the left. The door was barely open, an overturned dresser behind it. Ben slung his bow over his shoulder, pulled out his knife as he moved down the hallway. He looked in, saw Evelyn on the bed, a mewling creature crumbled on the floor, licking the blood dribbling down the comforter. The left side of its head was smashed, bits of broken glass sticking out. Ben finished the job, nearly cutting off its head. Evelyn's eyes were on Ben, her stomach torn open. Ben went to her, careful not to touch her wound. She spoke slowly. The closet. Ben walked over to the door. Evelyn said, It laughed. Ben turned the knob, found his one-year-old nephew curled up in a blanket. Justin's scream pierced the shack. Ben went to the door, saw his father fighting off a creature. Ben unslung his bow, took aim, cleaned through its open jaw. Kayla and Miguel backed in. Everyone fired arrows at the creatures coming full speed. One hit the porch step. Ben rushed the shot and missed. The thing tore into Miguel's stomach. Miguel drove the blade through its spine. Kayla pulled her father inside. Justin shut the door, helped get Miguel onto his back. The slimy red noodles of intestines started to spill out. Justin clamped his hands onto his friend's guts. Guess they're not just stories, Miguel said. He tried to fight through the pain. Ben pulled back the curtain. The creatures were gathering around the house, their beady eyes gleaming at Ben. There were too many. Ben shut the curtain, looked down at the red pool spreading across the floor. A low beep began echoing through the ranch. What is that? Kayla asked. She covered her ears. The beeping was getting louder, more frequent. Justin went to the window. They're backing away. The beeping amped up. It ripped through the morning, forced Ben to his knees. He saw his father's mouth moving, but couldn't hear anything but the beeps. Finally, Ben took his hands off his ears. 
saw the herd of yellow monsters moving toward the massive black and red weight transport, hovering in the clearing. A huge metal dish spun on top of the vehicle's roof. Fifty-plus creatures circled around it as it landed. A long metal ramp slid out, and the creatures filed in. The beeping faded. The dish stopped spinning. Two disciples in silver suits exited the vehicle. The black gate lowered, and six teenage boys in red uniforms walked out, stood at attention in front of the disciples. The disciples were armed with plasma rifles. The boys in red had electroprods hanging from their waists. The smaller disciple barked instructions. We need this place clean by nightfall. The boys broke up into three teams and spread out. Ben heard Lucas crying in the other room. He told Kayla to get the baby. Justin pulled Miguel's remaining arrows from his sheath. Kayla came out with Lucas. Ben told her to go out the back, head for the trees, and never stop. Kayla started to argue, but she saw the disciples gun down two boys trying to drag their mother's body inside their house. Ben looked at Justin. You know this is your fault. You really want to have this talk? Ben loaded an arrow, stood by the door. If they got the disciples first, they stood a chance. I'll take the one on the left. Justin nodded. Caleb bent down to give her father one last kiss. But there wasn't time. The disciples were coming. This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.